Hello and welcome back to Say a Spotlight. This is season two, episode 42. Um, I'm your host, Jake, but uh, the spotlight will not be on me today. As the episode title suggests, um, the voice of the people will be the priority over here. Um, over the past week, I've been sending out messages. Perhaps I've been spamming <laughs> you guys a little bit um, to send me a voice note with basically a rundown on how you feel your favorite team's season has gone. We managed to get the fan perspective of the following teams. So we have Juventus, we have Inter, Lazio, Sassuolo, Empoli, Roma, Napoli, Milan, Bologna, Fiorentina, Atalanta and Genoa. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Um, I'll be giving you your flowers, of course, before... Um, playing your voice note but before we get into that guys remember to follow us at Serie A Spotlight on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter drop us a rating and do look into joining our Patreon if you would like to interact with us more to be put in a group chat to watch our FIFA streams um, it's only three ninety nine a month guys and the link is in the bio so we're going to be starting with Luke Grima's rundown on interseason. Now I know that they play City in the Champions League final tonight and it would have been ideal to get this perspective perhaps after that game. But I was curious to see um, kind of his opinion without the recency bias of the Champions League final. The last time we featured Luke Grima on this podcast it sounded like he was in a washing machine. Hey. So hopefully I sound uh, like not like I'm in a washing machine this time. I sound a little bit better. Potentially if I do, I could re-record it. Uh, like I just mentioned, I was struggling a bit to sum up the season because it's been literally a roller coaster. I mean, if you look at it on the on, on paper, <laughs> it's almost not that horrendous a season. There are some very good points. There are a lot of bad points as well. A uh, bit of ugly points. <laughs> So I think just maybe to to summarize it in, in, in a few words, it's from what the expectations were at the start of the season, I think that we definitely didn't deliver, at least on the domestic front. I think after last season um, and the fact that we actually managed to build a little bit on last season and not really lose too many players, we added squad depth, uh, got in some people that Inzaghi really wanted, so uh, people like Acerbi. In the back, people we added Aslani and Belanova were meant to give more options. DeMarco really, really started to shine uh, even more this year. And Gossens actually started to play more than just a bit part role. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, I think, was the marquee signing, coming back on loan after leaving for Chelsea for 110 million. And given that last season uh, was quite disappointing, especially in the fashion that Inter lost the season, I think this year on paper, it was expected that Inter would again retain the title, uh, be able to fend off the current reigning champions, Milan. But as everyone can see and everyone who was watching the Serie A this season, it clearly wasn't the case. I mean, even though that it's a third place finish, which is kind of, you know, saves a bit of face, the fact that this team that were meant to be Serie A powerhouses were contending with the fact that they might not make any of the Champions League spots this season was just disgraceful, I think. But we've come a long way. We've managed to actually save a bit of pace. I think securing a third place finish, I mean, fourth place, if you consider the fact that Juve had a point deduction. But Champions League football was quite secure in the last few games. In terms of the actual football, I think some of the key issues were 
the dichotomy between the home games and the away games at home Inter seemed to be a completely different team and away, at least in the first part of the season before the World Cup we just dropped too many games away to Udinese, away to Roma away to Juve uh, most of these games as well the issue wasn't that Inter were always the worst team but they weren't turning up or they were just not able to get across the finish line um, especially in terms of I mean when you're looking at the statistics out of the time Inter continued to create chances especially after the World Cup the football wasn't completely bad except a few of the games um, there were chances they just weren't taking them they were slipping up at the back so both all of the strikers were misfiring there were people who weren't fit so I think that played a little bit of a part of it, but I don't think that we can blame it completely on that, especially when you consider other teams and the injury crisis that they had. Um, so in that aspect, I think, although third place is not so bad, and we picked ourselves up at the end of the season, it's it's still disappointing overall. In terms of the Cups, obviously, Inzaghi just showed his <laughs> favouritism and his little cup magic. He managed to retain both the Supercoppa and the Coppa Italia, and there are some very good performances in the Coppa Italia. Uh, I mean, the semi-final against Juve was quite dominant, I think, in the second leg. The final, though, there was a bit of shakiness in the second half. Lautaro showed that, you know, he's back to form and he's been in very good form as of late after, I wouldn't say a disappointing World Cup from his end, but he wasn't really firing all cylinders except from the penalty spot, I guess, where it mattered in the end. Um, but it's really, it's, it really goes to show how, how the team changed and, and, and evolved over the past, especially the past few weeks, the past few months. And that now, you know, we could rely on players like Lautaro, um, Zeko, Lukaku, all coming into form and actually getting the ball in the back of the net, as well as some amazing performances from Onana to keep clean sheets. And this somehow makeshift back for back three of Darmian, Acerbi and Bastoni. I mean, also the midfield three, you can consider to be a bit makeshift because on paper it does not make sense at all. You know, we have Hakan playing in this deep lying playmaker role, keeping Brozovic on the bench still um, when he's traditionally a number 10. Barella floating in and about, right, making those drives forward. And Mikatarian, who's <laughs> a million years old, playing this box to box midfielder role when he is like not a role that he's played at any other club bar maybe a few games with Roma. Uh, but I guess obviously then the other highlight of the season is the Champions League run. Some might say it's a bit fortunate the way the cookie crumbled. <laughs> but I think even the fact that under Antonio Conte, where you could argue that they were domestically much stronger and a domestically much stronger side where we couldn't even get out of the groups. The fact that we comfortably got out of a group that included Bayern and Barcelona, who are both winners of the La Liga and Bundesliga, respectively. Uh, we managed to continue to win in, I think, good fashion against Porto, Benfica. Two great games against Milan. Um, and now we'll see what, what's in store tomorrow. <laughs> Still some hope. Maybe some, some superstitions related to Croatians being required to win the Champions League, but we'll see. I don't personally don't expect that there'll be much. I mean, in my head, it's either 
<laughs> to City or a 1-0 win for Inter. And I don't think there's anywhere in between. Uh, just to close off, I think one of the questions that Jake asked me specifically, which is interesting, is whether Inzaghi should have been fired or not. I honestly, throughout the season, and certain parts of it, especially after the World Cup, when there was another different form, there were certain periods where even I was doubting Inzaghi. And honestly, I thought that he should have received the sack more because the football was remaining very static. Substitutions were very predictable. Um, nothing was changing. And the team really looked like they needed a response. They needed something to change. They That wasn't clicking. Thankfully, it eventually did start to click. Um, they picked up. Maybe some things aren't exactly in Inzaghi's hands. In all honesty, looking back at it retrospectively, I would say I still think Inzaghi is a good coach for us, weighing the options that we could also get. And given the financial situation, I think he is a great coach for us. And I think independent of whether or not he wins the Champions League or loses the Champions League tomorrow, um, I think he should stay on, given some more faith, hopefully rewarded with even more transfers, but hopefully not at his request. Talking about Korea, um, I will see what next season has in store. It's certainly been a mixed bag of emotions for Inter fans who um, actually lost 12 games in the league this season and that's just two fewer than the newly promoted Monza side um, but then making a Champions League final of course um, so mixed emotions over there but I think overall positive you know securing that top four spot and um, making the Champions League final and having a chance of actually winning it by the time you're listening you probably know what happened there um, so yes the Croatian the viral egg and the power of friendship will these be enough Next up, we've got Benji Flynn, and he's going to be talking about Milan um, and Milan's season. Um, he actually had to send this voice note twice, because an hour after he sent it, the news that Maldini and Massara had been sacked had just come out. Um, so thank you very much for your patience, bro. <laughs> so Milan season 2022-2023. Quite a unique one, to say the least. Um, you know, obviously came in with high expectations. We had just won the league in the way we did. Um, and there was a lot of hope, you know, that we can do it again, go further in Europe and the Supercoppa. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the way this capitulation, or I mean, that's <laughs> putting it mildly. Um, you know, I mean, we can go back to January 8th against Roma, to the 88th minute of that match. At that point, we had the Super Coppa to play for, the Coppa Italia to play for, the Champions League. We're through to the last 16 for the first time in years. And we were, at that point, minus five from Napoli on equal games with the Tuna lead. And unfortunately, we all know what happened next. Roma score two quick goals, we come draw. And before you know it, people are calling for Pioli's job. You know, so, I mean, it was crazy, you know, when you consider, I mean, it was a season of very high highs and very bad low lows. I mean, when you consider the fact that we won one of the derbies, we beat Juve twice, we knocked Napoli out, who were the runaway champions, we knocked them out of the Champions League. Um, 
you know, we destroyed them on their way to the title. We destroyed them 4-0 away. You know, so there were those great moments in the air. But at the same time, you know, there was the Sassuolo 5-2 game. There was the 4-0 to Lazio. There was, you know, losing the Super. I mean, I mean, what's impressive is the way we lost competitions. And that is the thing. That's the main takeaway of this year. Right? So the Coppa, we lost it 10 men home against Torino. The Super Coppa was a trashing. The Champions League, unfortunately, making it all the way to the semi-final. And then for it to end in the way it did. The league, we ended up having one of the worst, if not the worst, title defence in Serie history. So, I mean, highs and lows, I mean, a rating out of 10, I, I guess it would be maybe a 5.5 or 6, maybe solely on, again, getting Champions League, however we did so. I mean, and whatever the case may be, we're there next day, thankfully. And reaching, obviously, the semi-final. I mean, but those are the only two shining lights of the season, you know. I mean, maybe as well extending Leao, but you know, it, it, if you want to, if you want to count that too. But but I mean, the buck stops there. Um, now going forward in the future, you know, <laughs> this is where it gets interesting. Um, you guys had asked me to record something. And I had, and then one hour later, we saw the news of Maldini and Massara. So <laughs> things have changed quite dramatically since since you guys asked me to record this. But um, it's going to be a very interesting summer for me, to say the least. I mean, it's a new it's a new direction, you know, purely till now, <laughs> at least till today is going to stay is the only one from the old regime it seems odd to say but is the only one who's stayed put and now we need to move in a different direction uh, i mean obviously what happened no one was happy with that you know i mean i think the unique thing about our position was that we Still had a strong team. I think no one will deny that Milan do have a strong team. A team maybe that was a little bit overrated coming off the league win. But there is a good group of players there. No one's going to convince me that Tomori can is a bad player. Or Kaluru or, you know, Teo Leao, Manian, Tonali, Benacera can go on. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was a unique opportunity for the club to say, okay, we're in Champions League, we're back, we can regroup and go again next year, you know, say, okay, what do we need to do? We need to fine tune, we need to say, all right, right wing is a priority, we need a good reserve for Teo, you know, we need a, another alternative at, at Cam. we need, you know, all, all these things. And we, we were beginning, you know, there was Kamada being mentioned, Loftus-Cheek, Sportiello had already been signed, so uh, there were already these positive signs. And then all of a sudden, you know, this complete explosion out of the blue happens and everything needs to start again. So, I mean, we've lost quite a bit of time, you could say, and we need to get everyone in and settled and, and ready to go. But um, it's going to be an interesting summer. We need to recruit heavily. We do need to get in four or five players who can improve the squad. I mean, that was one of the main problems we had, which was depth, obviously. I mean, 
you look at Inter, we were saying it all to the semi-final. They could bring on players like Lukaku. They can bring on Brozovic, you know. They, they had those options. And we ended up having a, an injured Rebic, you know, or a, on his last leg Rebic, or if that's the word, I don't think injured is the right word. But uh, the Origi, who was hopeless. The Catalarita has five million signing, didn't unfortunately live up to the price tag. And doesn't seem in purely plans for next year. So, I mean, there's a lot of cleaning up to do. And these new guys who are going to replace Maldini and Massara, this is their job. And they're under a lot of pressure to do so. And, I mean, Jerry Cardinale or whoever the, the people are backing him are going to have to reach into their pockets and, and fork, out, fork out some cash because... Is the only way the team is going to improve, and we we're going to need to now. The expectations are high, you know. There's no more. Oh, we just want to qualify for Champions League, you know. We we need to be competing. We've won the league. We've made the semi-finals of the Champions League. We have to push on from there. We can't just stay static, and we're going to have. And they're going to be under a lot of pressure to to live up to Maldini and Massara, who were adored by fans, were adored by players. I mean, if you want to make an argument that they should have been fired, go ahead. I, I personally believe, and it's just my opinion, that it maybe was a bit of a rash rush decision. And hopefully I'm proved wrong. They know what they're doing and, and we can continue winning. I mean, that's what's important at the end of the day. It mean I'm wins, you know? I mean, I'd love that Maldini stayed there for the rest of his life, you know? But unfortunately... Football is a business. Uh, people who run a big business end up butting heads and they go in different direction. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting summer. We're going to have to bounce back from this year because this year I don't think anyone was truly satisfied. And we're going to have to show why we were champions, you know, why we were deserved champions. Um, and it's going to be... And, and I think we're going to be a team to watch next year. I mean, now we'll see how... The transfer window shapes out. I would love to have a right winger, a solid right winger. I think we need a striker who's going to get those 20, 25 goal year seasons. Um, obviously, I love Giroud, but I mean, he's going to be 37 next year. If he can continue scoring at the rate he scores, fantastic. But he is going to need a solid alternative, or maybe Giroud should be the alternative next year. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to need a bit of creativity, goals from midfield, which is something we sort of lack. I mean, we lack. I mean, but, you know, it's, it's always a nice thing to have. You can have that midfielder who can get you five, six, seven goals a season. Um, so, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's it, it's going to be a big summer, I think, for us. And, and hopefully... Now Leia was signed, Manjan is signed, Teo signed, all the main players are signed, so hopefully none of them go somewhere after this, somewhere else after this Maldini Masara news. And, you know, let's hope for the best and hope that the club just wins, because at the end of the day, I'm sure even Maldini, that's what he wants. But Milan, you know, are a winning club and the club we all know and love. Yes, that Roma match was most definitely a turning point in Milan's season. Um, if you'd like to listen to the full coverage of the whole Maldini, Massara and Cardinale situation, you can refer to our previous 
previous episode, we covered in quite a lot of detail over there. Yes, a season of high highs and low lows for Milan as they make a Champions League semi-final, but it literally takes a freak occurrence for Milan to make top four, as it required a Juventus points deduction. Speaking of Juventus, our next speaker is our boy Steve Colero, who will be covering Juventus's very troubling and stressful season. Hey guys, it's Steve and super happy to be on the podcast and I'm here to give you a season rundown from a Juventus point of view. So let's start from my expectations. The expectations were to win the league, but this was before I saw how dominant this Napoli team were and they totally deserve it. You can say Juventus were unfortunate with injuries. The Dybala replacement wasn't up to scratch between Di Maria constantly being in and out and Pogba was just not there this season. So I think overall it was quite an unfortunate year for Juve, excluding off-the-pitch issues. Um, I feel like I need to address the elephant in the room, which is Allegri. Um, I'm going to start with his pros, actually. He kept the club in decent shape considering the situation. There was a lot of tension, there were a lot of issues, players were unhappy. And overall, he kept getting points. So, and we can't forget, on the pitch, he technically came third, which is quite impressive, especially considering all of the injuries and the issues they had to deal with. Um, he came to the Europa semi-finals and we lost to Sevilla, which I feel like is a very respectable loss considering they went on to win the whole thing. And Sevilla are their own their own beast in Europa League. They're like the Real Madrid of the Champions League. With regards to the cons of Allegri, everybody knows it. I'm not going to say anything crazy. He has negative football. It's time for a change. His player management is really bad. He tends to blame the players, which is a massive problem. However, to go back on the pros, I'm very glad that he introduced some of the youth, such as Iling Jr., Soleil, Fagioli. They were all very, very solid. Merit was okay. Um, with regards to the goals for next year, we have to keep our main players. We're seeing Vlahovic and Chiesa linked to a new club every day. We need to get some new fullbacks because Sandro and Cuadrado are way gone. Sandro especially, my God, has been terrible. Every time he's played, he's been a liability. We can't rely on him anymore. We need to keep focusing on our youths and we need to fix our fitness system. Now, if this comes with firing Allegri and his whole fitness coaches, I'm all for it, but 43 million is a massive, massive issue, especially considering you don't have Champions League football or Europa League football. Um, with regards to if we had to qualify for Champions League, I feel like we would have been banned from it anyway because of the whole Super League drama that we've now left, which I feel like is good because we were just flogging a dead horse, I feel like. But um, I feel like if we did qualify for Champions League, we would have been banned for it anyway. So maybe it's better. It's better this way. With regards to off the pitch issues, I don't feel like as a fan I have any input because I did not contribute to this as the fans we have no idea we just feel betrayed by the management of course the management can always say yes we gave you those nine scudetti in a row yes whatever but this as as the fans and as the players at the end of the day some players had nothing to do with this and they're they're suffering the repercussions of all of this however i would like to point out that at a point when we were with minus 15 points we were still en route to get top four which i feel like is would have been a phenomenal feat 
keep in mind, the minus 15 points wasn't just minus 15 points, guys. The, the mentality, the strain it took on the players, this affects you, even on the coach at a point. Allegri just says, I'm tired, I'm tired, because these are all factors he doesn't have direct control over. But once again, I feel like with the situation and Allegri was put in, he didn't do the worst. Now, could he have managed the players better? Yes. Could he play not such terrible football? Yes. But, I mean, at a point, we had a great run of form. You guys mentioned it. We had like eight clean sheets in a row. They were all 1-0. We looked methodical. We really had a good game plan. So, all in all, this year, I feel like we can just write it off. Allegri's fault, management's fault, let's say a bit of everyone. Some players underperforming, 100%. I mean, Di Maria, let's be honest, you're buying a world-class player. Okay, he's in the twilight years. For a winger, especially, it's quite a hard factor. But still, I mean, for what we got, we could have kept Dybala. But on paper, Di Maria's the, the better player. I mean, it's a no-brainer. And then considering the season Dybala had... When has he ever had a season with so few injuries? I don't know. But anyway, that's luck, I guess. But I feel like the Maria did leave much to leave desired. Um, Pogba was just a disappointment, eh? but not really anything. We, we can't really be surprised by that because we knew what we were getting when we signed him. He is that type of player, unfortunately. However, hopefully next year he can really hit his form with a full preseason of training. And we'll see some form of new Pogba. Um, so just to round up, the season was shit because of, of the pitch issues. However, however, people do bring Allegri down more than they should because we cannot forget, guys, to be minus 15 and top four was still extremely attainable. I feel like it's a feat that very few managers can deal with. A lot of managers will just feel the stress and crumble and the team did have performances where we just crumbled. For example, when they announced the minus 10 points right before the game starting against Empoli, the 4-1 loss, that was a perfect example of the team just crumbling. Um, moving forward from this, I basically just want to emphasize how we need to keep the main players, reinforce the fullbacks, maybe get a vice Vlahovic as it has been announced that we will not be re-signing Milik. A bit surprising, but he did have quite a few injuries. So it is understandable. Replacement for De Maria, who did his Instagram goodbye post. So, I mean, that's pretty clear. All in all, keep playing the youths. Allegri seems to be staying, so there's no point in saying Allegri out, Allegri out. We need to support the coach that there is now, and hopefully we'll have a better season coming ahead. Thanks again, boys, for having for having me. Always a pleasure. Very well said, bro. Um, with all Allegri's flaws, his faith in youth players was admirable, especially when you look at his reputation and the fact that he doesn't usually trust young players. I do agree that it has been a terrible season for you guys off the pitch. However, as you said, on the pitch, it was technically a third place finish, which isn't that bad considering, you know, the performances weren't that great. Getting knocked out to Sevilla, once again, a very, very respectable opponent over there. And and you're out of the Super League. So maybe UEFA will get off your back over there. So that's great. As for our next speaker, guys, I am very happy and very excited to be bringing you um, Fabrizio and Matt from La Lanterna Podcast, who will be covering Genoa season in Serie B.
Hello, everyone. This is Matt and Fabrizio from Montana Podcast. What an amazing season for Genoa this year. Really excited about next season and what a wild ride it's been so far. As you know, this year started kind of rough for us in the Genoa perspective. I suppose we had very high aspirations and rough is maybe a little bit of a misnomer given where we were in the table. But we had some ups and downs under Blessing. Of course, Berto Giardino took over as manager about midway through the season and has pretty much been all an upward path since then maybe even more amazing, continuing some of the good vibes and feels of Genoa fans after the end of last season. Definitely, we started as the favorites. There was a lot of hiccups happening up until halfway through the season and also very highly competitive Serie B. We were super welcomed from that league, so that was quite the surprise and the pleasant side of Serie B. But on the other note, the anthem of the club was only one year. Obviously, they had to change certain things, and that's why you mentioned the fact of Gilardino coming. And then since then, if you look at the standings, we were the first ones and it was an amazing season since. Yeah, Giordino's management really steadied the ship for us and when you look at this past season, our top players, maybe not that surprising for a Genoano, Icelandic international, Albert Goodmanson, absolutely fantastic, just this amazing signing that we managed to get in January of the season prior. Very creative, very skillful, really intelligent and has had some great kind of interplay. Personally, have been so excited about Badel and Martinez for different reasons. I think as a fan watching these two guys play. Badel's been with this for a while now, of course, very much a player familiar with Serie A. Um, but just seeing him kind of play this midfield maestro role that he's done so well for so many years, I, I felt like for some reason this season in Serie B, we saw more of the creative side of Badel that I didn't recall as much in the relegation kind of battling seasons we've had in recent years. And so it was really fun to see that and to see our midfield kind of have that really stout performance. And, and Joseph Martinez, our keeper who we had signed from Leipzig before the season had started, a really incredible addition, actually. More of a kind of play from your feet type of a keeper, a little bit of a different kind of composition but he really saved us in part of the season. And so those guys, I think, probably highlight my top players of the season. Is there anybody you'd add, Fabri? Worth mention, I'm going to add also Boliaco and yeah. uh, Sabelli were yeah. definitely two key players in our defense, especially Sabelli, who came in replacing Payats, who had a very bad injury. I guess while we're talking about defense, we can't ignore Radu Dragushin as well, another player who we got kind of didn't know what we were going to expect. This is a guy that's been an absolute rock in defense and actually had gotten a couple of goals for us too so we're really excited to have him in the defensive unit and matt what do you think about the flops for me it's tough to say too many flops because obviously we achieved the goal we had promotion i think realistically the whole squad contributed to this for me i would say probably more so there were some other players maybe somewhat on the fringe that didn't quite show that potential and even some guys who we thought would be there more regularly that just were hurt or something else matia aramu i think pretty much has to fit this bill for us big name signing we signed him from venezia at the beginning of the season kind of poaching from a rival didn't see exactly the mercurial nature that we had heard of from some of our Venezia friends that we've been talking with so he's probably first on the list I think we're going a little bit farther back now but another player to start the season Yeboah was a guy we were thinking hey Serie B is going to be perfect for Yeboah give this guy some minutes we think he can play have him kind of with that pace combining with Ecuban which of course was derailed when he went down but not really very substantive results we ended up selling him to Augsburg I think and and that's 
kind of how it ended for him? Or was it just alone? Just alone. I'm going to just add a few ones. Yeltsin was the one that was yeah. someone that we were expecting a lot more, especially because we signed him with three years contract. I want to also add on the negative side for extracurricular activities would be Portanova, which unfortunately <laughs> we had a good start with him. And because of his extracurricular activities, we lost a player that was key. And I'm going to leave it at that. Because, which will not be mentioned. Yeah, I think deservedly on the not so fond list. On the whole, though, I mean, we have to look at the season as a success. We saw the return of kind of cheery days at the Ferraris, which was amazing. Seeing fans seemingly outdo themselves week after week with the choreographies and Tifosi and different things were happening. You're right. With respect to the market right now at this point, at the beginning of June, the goal was officially set by the Genoa new owners. So I want to remark the fact that Genoa has new owners. Let's not forget that the Genoa from past years is quite different now with new owners. So their goal, official goal, is to have a stable and comfortable uh, Serie A stay. Uh, so at least a mid-table result for next year. I like that aim. Aiming for mid-table is not something we've had on our sites for some time. So we're excited to be back. We had a very gracious welcome, I would say, in Serie B by rival fans and just being able to watch the competition. It was really kind of somewhat of a, a really nice surprise just being able to enjoy the football that was happening happening there and connect with fans from all over the league. Looking forward to next season in Serie A. Hopefully we kick on and, and have a good account of ourselves in our first season back. Sorry if you missed us for one year, but we are back. We are more than excited to start the new season back to where we belong. The oldest team in Italy, Club Piantico d'Italia, as we say in Italian, and absolutely looking forward to the season. So if anybody's looking forward to hearing a little bit more about the Grifone, kind of just learning a little bit more about our day-to-day, -day, we usually cover uh, Genoa's matchups week after week. We like to bring on guests from other teams. So if you're interested in being a guest, let us know. Um, you can follow Follow us on uh, La Lanterna Podcast. We're available really wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's another uh, way to follow us. Also, reminders of when the pod's online. Drop us a like. Any comments, reach out to us. We will be more than happy to hear from you. And as we always say at the end of every pod, don't forget, always and forever, Forza Genoa. Thank you very much, guys. Everyone, go drop them a follow. These guys are absolutely great. Um, yeah, the start to the Serie B season wasn't the best, but thankfully you you made it up there with uh, Gilardino. Um, I'm really happy that you guys have new owners as well. Um, the Americans tend to invest a little bit more. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what next year holds for Genoa. Let's hope that we won't be seeing any more extracurricular activities next season. Next up, we've got Steve Grima, brother of Luke Grima. Luke Grima, of course, supports Inter. We've already heard his voice. But now we're going to be hearing the voice of his brother, Steve, who happens to support Lazio. Let's go. Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood Lazio fan. So I think when it comes to Lazio's season performance overall, I mean, I'm very happy with the second place finish and the 74 points. I think Sarri is creating an atmosphere where Lazio is exciting to watch and the fans are definitely showing it right now. Obviously, I know that flunking out of the Conference League was one of the low points of the season, including first flunking out of the Europa League, albeit ending on the same points as the other teams. Uh, I do think Sarri seems to be settled at Lazio. He says he doesn't want to move unless Lotito doesn't promise him the signings he needs. I feel like Sarri, though, has the power to put enough pressure on Lotito to make the moves on the transfer market. Right now, many names are being thrown around, best being, in my opinion, Berardi, Milik, Jorginho. I'd be happy with any of them, but for me, Berardi would 
be my favorite pick and I think he's also the most realistic. Um, I'm curious to see how the transfer market would, would evolve after Tara's departure. In my opinion, he was a divisive character. He was set to dictate a lot of what was said on was what went on internally. Maybe Peruzzi would come back now that he left, as it was said that they used to clash between them. I think it would be a boost for the team if he comes back. I don't remember him personally so negatively. I like to base my opinion on the many excellent players he's brought in throughout the years. I mean, you could mention Marchetti, Keita Balde, Strakosha, Filip Anderson, Milinkovic, Savic, and Luz Alberto to name a few. I also don't think we should forget, however, the flops were brought in, with a special mention to Muriki and Rafael Morrison. Regarding Mourinho, I don't think he ever properly gelled with the team, seeing that now he's performing pretty well in La Liga, whereas Morrison was a high-risk chance that didn't pay off in the end. I feel that the issue most fans had with both him and Lotito was that they viewed them as solely business-minded rather than risk-takers who are willing to spend money to improve the team, which I've had similar sentiments over the years, especially when you think back to the failed fax stories and the fake email address, which seemed like attempts to just hype up the fans, which then completely blew up in their faces. When I think about the team, I feel we definitely need another striker to help him mobile out. I still feel that he's our star striker, but he's only getting older and injuries will crop up again if he doesn't have a good rotating partner. We do need another midfielder, especially if Savic leaves. Obviously, I would be upset to see him leave, but if this is the end of the cycle that he has with the club, then so be it. I mean, he'd be leaving on a high. It would just be a shame to play Champions League football without him. Seeing Jorginho come in would be a massive boost, but we must be careful not to replace Cataldi entirely since they play in the same positions. As Cataldi has improved incredibly and having another Laziale on the pitch alongside Romagnoli is just great to see and definitely is a boost for the fans too. I also think Pellegrini was a decent uh, loan so far. I think he has a lot to learn and I hope he remains. Uh, lastly, I wouldn't like to make any predictions for the future per se, but I strongly agree with Sari's comments that qualifying for the Champions League just this season should not be our main target. Rather, qualifying three years in a row so that they, you would have the best possible chances of constructing a proper team capable of battling it out on all fronts. And in each competition is what's most important. I think that's what Lazio's focus should be on, longevity and uh, just building a team that could, that could last for the years to come. Thanks. Thank you very much, bro. The Sarri project most definitely is in full swing and the pressure is on Lotito to invest now. Berardi would be an absolute demon at Lazio. I can't even imagine him on one side and Zaccani on the other. That sounds naughty. Um, Vice Immobile is actually a good shout right now. He's getting quite old, you know. I mean, <laughs> his injury record recently isn't great. Like, you need someone else to fill in for when he's out. Up next, we've got Steve's biggest rival, Cesco, who supports Roma, of course. This man has Roma tattooed on his chest. Buon pomeriggio, voi due milanisti innamorati. You have requested a season review from me, and what do I think about next season? This is a big mistake from you guys because I'm going to ask your viewers to light up a cigarette, uh, pour themselves a beer, a glass of wine, whatever, rock their boat, and relax because I have a lot to say. And in light, or if you want to say in darkness, from last Wednesday's game, which clearly if a penalty was given would have changed the whole aspect of my voice recording today, but I won't don't want to get into this because clearly everyone knows what happened 
and uh, I'm tired of speaking about the final. Pero this year we ended up in the Europa League final, so close to winning it. We ended up sixth place. We were fourth place up until we had so many injuries. Um, and we got knocked out by Cremonese in, in the quarterfinal. So what do I think about this season? Um, let's start off with our playing style. Firstly, our playing style was disgusting, but whenever we wanted to win and we were healthy as a, as a squad and as in fitness and injuries, we got our win, huh? we got our win or we got our comeback and then all dropped the whole po- three points. Meaning if, for example, that 2-2 with Milan, for me, it's nearly as good as a win because Milan had gotten their point instead of three, which means a plus three on us. And uh, we got one point as well. So we were a strong squad mentally this year. We were a very strong squad, but we were not playing nice football. We're not playing nice football, but we still got what we needed from our players. One zero wins, whatever. Um, What defined our season was at a certain point, we got hit by a tempesta a literal tempesta of injuries. While we were competing for fourth place or top four, if you want to say, and Europa League. Now, this was how we were basically in between choosing what are we going to do. Um, uh, we're going to fight for the Europa League and pray we get the trophy back in Rome or are we going to focus on top four? Now, that... We lost the final. I believe it was more simple. Sorry, simple to get top four. Clearly, we did not have enough squad depth, thanks to those injuries, to get both at the same time. Now, another another problem more new. Sorry, I need to learn how to read and speak. God damn. Mourinho criticized the the Lega for. Penalizing Juventus, taking them back and repenalizing them. Why did he criticize them? Because if he knew that they were going to get repenalized, he would have gave another go in the league. Because clearly the players knew what Mourinho wanted. And now even though Mourinho wanted the wins in the league, they couldn't mentally focus on two things at once. And our reserve players, which were another factor of... We're not successful in playing these these games against, for example, um, Bologna, these must-win games. Those must-win games at the end after April were even another factor how we didn't get top four. But having said that, we we knew like from before, if we were going to lose those 10 points again, we would have tried a bit harder because we lost so many points. I, I believe Spezia yesterday was our only win in the last... Okay, we lost we lost or drew like the last five games in a row. I'm not going to stay counting. Pero you can do the math. We were even unlucky against Milan. It was a 50-50 game, don't get me wrong. But when you score in the 92nd minute and um, uh, conceded the 95th, ah, you are unlucky as well. Because, again, like I said about the Europa League final, if we won that game against Milan, I would be saying something else today. But I'm proud of this Roma at the same time. We were, at a point, a very mentally strong team. We beat Juventus, we fought against Inter, beat them 2-1. When we played with our reserves against Inter, we were unlucky. Um, uh, we could have uh, gotten three points at the end against Milan. 
we were we we fought hard when we played against Napoli. They were two defeats, but two defeats without a fight against the champions. I'm proud of this team. Again, I'm proud of this this team. Pero there has to be work done. Oh, sorry, there has to be some work to be done next year by Tego Pinto. Tammy yesterday got his crucial um, uh, ligament injury, which is going to put him out from at least March. Not from, till at least March. And uh, that means we all have Bellotti and Solbaken, which you can see how successful they were this year. Diego Pinto has to do some work now. And um, we need to create a new identity, a new goal-scoring identity. Now, I'm not saying score... Three goals a game like Napoli, pero we know our weaknesses. We know our weaknesses, and that is squad depth and create not creating attacking chances at a point where the most expected goals. Pero we need to we need to um, score these chances. Now it's up to Thiago Pinto. It's too early for me to give you a prediction or what to look out for next season. Pero we are again in the Europa League. Now, I don't want to say we can give Europa League another run, but I don't want to repeat the same mistakes from last year. And I would like to see a more consistent and uh, more, what's the word here? What is the word I can use? Um, effective Roma, if that makes sense. We, we cannot lose these, these points against these small clubs. And... Uh, not show up in some certain games. Pero some nice moments to look back from this year where the 4-1 win against the Feyenoord um, that showed our identity, what we're capable of. And I believe in this Roma team. I believe a lot in this Roma team. And with every loss, I love them even more. But now I'm, it's time to detox a bit. Hopefully we can see the Calcio Mercato. Hopefully it's a positive one for us. I believe Spinazzola is departing. We'll probably sell Ibanez. Um I believe Dybala and uh, Mourinho will both stay because they're crucial for us. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. It depends who we're getting rid of. And uh, I believe Gini Wijnaldum will go back to PSG. I don't really want him. He don't impress me. He disappointed me. I know he broke his tibia, but he disappointed me. I rather play the likes of Bove because, my God, he's a joy to watch. And we also completed, or on the verge of completing, the signings of Indy, Kanawar. So let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop speaking now because ah, it's eight minutes already. <laughs> If you want me on the podcast, just tell me and I'll do three hours moaning about about what he could do. But until then, you're going to settle for the free free uh, trial version. Va bene, raga. Ciao, ti voglio bene, forza Roma sempre. Ciao. Thank you very much, Cesco. Yes, I think Roma's new sponsor, Toyota, is a perfect representation of Mourinho as a coach. 
um, unimpressive but very reliable. <laughs> and had he known that Juventus were to have their points deducted, I'm sure he would have gone for a domestic push towards the end. So that kind of shafted him ever so slightly over there. Let's see. The Roma team, the Roma squad really needs uh, improving. There needs to be some investment over there. And let's see if they do invest. Next up, we've got our boy Zorig, who's going to be covering Fiorentina's season. We know, of course, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for them. They've made, they made two finals, but didn't manage to take a trophy back to Florence. Being a fan of La Viola is a difficult way of life. The club has been through a lot and has the scars to show it. But this year has not been a year full of scars in the least. First off, it has been one of the best seasons that Fiorentina have had since the 2013-14 season, which saw Fiorentina finish fourth and make the Coppa Italia final. Although, if you look back to the fall of 2022, you never would have known. Fiorentina's season had an extremely slow domestic start. Fiorentina saw under 20 goals before the World Cup. These matches included an embarrassment at home to Lazio 4-0 and an away loss in the Derby del Apanino. Before the World Cup break, Fiorentina won a match by more than one goal just twice. The slow start of the team, in my opinion, is largely attributed to our strikers and a few injuries. In the winter of 2022, Fiorentina purchased Arthur Cabral as a replacement for Dusan Vlahovic. And over the summer, we also purchased Luka Jovic. Great things were expected of the pair, and they did not deliver in the slightest. Luka Jovic delivered three goals before the World Cup, and Arthur Cabral only scored two. After the World Cup break, though, everything started to look up. There was a slow start seeing one win, two draws, and three losses. But two single wins in the Coppa Italia sent Fiorentina to the semis. The season started to take a turn around with the brilliant 4-0 victory over Braga in the Conference League. A draw with Empoli and the return victory against Praga saw Fiorentina on a huge high. Fiorentina then continued their three-game unbeaten streak with a 3-0 win against Verona, which I believe included the, my goal of the season, a Biragi free kick from his own half that just stunned everyone. A 2-1 win against Milan, a 5-1 aggregate win in the Conference League, round of 16, and five more beaten games in the league took Fiorentina to a 10-game unbeaten streak. Fiorentina's streak managed to extend to a 14 games. The Viola saw a slight hiccup in the 3-2 loss against Monza, although it proved that it was nothing with the 5-0 dismantling of Sampdoria. Fast forward to late May, Fiorentina is in two finals and on a high. Sadly, La Viola could not overcome Champions League finalists Inter in the Coppa Italia final. Wins over Roma and Sassuolo seemed to energize La Viola in preparation for the Conference League final against West Ham. Sadly, a 90th minute winner by Jared Bowen robbed La Viola of its trophy dreams. That was honestly one of the saddest sights I've seen in a while, as I'm recording this around 30 minutes after the game, and... To be honest, I was in tears. In my opinion, I would not consider this season successful. Yes, Fiorentina showed that it could play with the big boys. Yes, Fiorentina made its way to two cup finals. But by finishing eighth place and not claiming a single of the two trophies available, the season will probably go down as one of the biggest what-ifs in our history. The main problem, in my opinion, from this team is a lack of consistency with our strikers. Our strikers this season have had some great performances, yes. But for the most part, they were unreliable and didn't score goals. Plain and simple. That was the problem. For a large part of the season, our number one striker wasn't even one of our strikers. It was a retrofitted 
retrofitted Christian Kwame, who just happened to function as a good center forward. And it just, he made up for what Cabral and Jovic couldn't do. And while Arthur Cabral seemed to wake up a little at the end of the season, Luka Jovic hasn't shown the same awakening. Another weakest, in my opinion, is our unreliable center backs. We have some of the best center backs in the world, like Nikola Milenkovic. But our others seem not to have what it takes. Igor and Lucas Martinez Cuarta were, were good, no questions. They were, they were excellent. But in times of high stress and pressure, they didn't perform to their best ability and caused many a valuable defeat. And while Luca Ranieri is great, he's a fairly inexperienced youngster who shouldn't have to bear the weight of the defense at this moment. He he's performed amazingly well over this entire season, but he doesn't have the experience it takes to be a starter like we saw today in the Conference League final. One of Fiorentina's strengths, though, is our uh, offensive and possessive style of play. This, in addition to hundreds of crosses being sent in by our fullbacks, creates a deadly offense when our strikers are in form. In the future, I think Fiorentina will be one of the top clubs in Serie A and a year-in, year-out European contender. With the guidance of Vincenzo Italiano and wealthy and competent ownership, Fiorentina has the skills, leadership, and money to become a truly successful club. I mean, look at our investments in the club itself. The Viola Park is said to be the greatest sporting sporting facility in Italy and could be considered one of the best sporting facilities in Europe. And if we apply the same investment that we do to our training facilities, to our team and our players, I think Fiorentina will easily become a Champions League contender in four or five years. Fiorentina's top priority now, in my opinion, should be to seal a good summer transfer market. With a, with a good summer transfer market, I think that we could create a team that is both functional, has good chemistry, and gives us a lot of depth so that we're not playing the same people week in, week out and reducing their um, playing abilities. My tops and flops for this season are pretty simple. At top, I have Cristiano Baraghi. Our captain led the league in crosses and simply dominates the left side of the field. All play just runs through him, and his insane left foot can make some of the least dangerous dead ball situations lethal. And in my opinion, he's the pinnacle of a team captain. For flop, I have to go with Luka Jovic. Much was expected for the Real Madrid signing. We expected an amazing and dynamic backup, or even replacement for Arthur Cabral. But his lack of form, unhelpful and uninterested style of play, and even stating that Fiorentina is a stepping stone in his career, something Fiorentina fans have heard before by a certain um, Juventus player, <coughs> Kizza, <coughs> has led to me losing respect for him. He gave us a few goals in the last few matches, but really, he only really shined when we were playing semi-professional teams from Latvia, which is starting to seem a lot more his level. I want to thank Mike and Jake for letting me share my input on Fiorentina's season this year. And I'm a, one of the biggest fans of the podcast. And always, as always, Forza Viola. First of all, I feel the need to <laughs> correct you. Um, I apologize that I have to do this, but I feel like Matthew will kill me if I don't. It's Matt, not Mike. 
But thank you very much, Zorig, for um, sharing your insight on Fiorentina. Um, we love having you in our community. Of course, um, we like have to have the perspective of every team. And we don't often find Fiorentina fans, to be honest with you. So yes, Fiorentina had a slow start the season, but then they exploded post-World Cup. Um, I don't know if it's fair to call it an unsuccessful season. Perhaps the fact that there's no European um, tournament that you'll be playing in next season that actually plays a big part of it. Um, we'll see what happens with Juventus, of course. They might still be excluded and that way Fiorentina would slip right into it. Um, but it's a shame, really. Next up, we've got the Rade Krunic of the podcast. We've got Luke Mintoff, the man who filled the big shoes of my brother Matt while he was away in Australia. Take it away, Mint. Hello, gents. It is me, your humble servant. Here to talk about my beloved Sassuolo. And, um, I'm going to cut the chase straight away. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'd love for there to be a lot of positives to talk about, but um, there aren't many, to be honest. And I think, I think the only positive coming from the season is coming from a man of a dark complexion with uh, a very French name and surname. And his name is Armand Lorienté, as we all know. And we've all seen his brilliance on countless occasions until Jake buys him in front of the culture and he starts doing nothing. So thanks for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was the saving grace, I feel. I feel like he made a very sour season be slightly less sour um, due to the performances that he had, which uh, have won Sassuolo games, really and truly. Um, even if he has not scored, he's often in many games been a threat um, down the left flank. Um, and I feel like that's always been something to highlight in their games. Uh, but apart from that, I feel like the team has has really jumped four or five steps back in terms of growth and development. Um, everyone knew it was going to be a tough season, losing so many players, so many star players in the likes of Skamaka and Raspadori, and even Traore this year, actually. Um, so And Boga and Diricic. That's five attacking players that uh, used to be key components of a team which was uh, a major threat um, in attack. And they're all gone. Uh, and they're all gone, and the replacements just have not been... Some have been great, of course, like we just said, Lorienté, but some have just not been uh, up to the standards. Uh, one of them is, of course, Pinamonti. We, we, we've spoken about him many times. I'm not going to go over it again and again and again, but he just has not been good enough. It's, uh, it's as simple as that, really. And... Um, yeah, even as the season went on, it didn't look like he made much progress. So, very tough to watch, actually. Really tough to watch because a team which was so so lethal in attack. And uh, you could expect them to, to always, at least, you know, lose a game, but score go, score goals and score nice goals and score... Um, and be a threat, be a threat in any case. 
there have been times where they just haven't been like that. Uh, they may, they, you know, they would score or they'd get that goal just from some Berardi miracles or uh, or Lorienta miracles, and you know that's just not enough to 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 keep the steady performance and growth of a club. And um, yeah, that's what hurts the most, to be honest, because at at their core, the team has their vision has stayed the same, the way they play football has stayed the same, uh, but the final product often at time is just not good enough. And um, a topic I speak with Jake in particular about, which is their defense, it's just been absolutely piss poor. Um, and I, I, I don't even want to imagine where Sassuolo would have been if they didn't have the likes of Rayleigh like this year. And even he hasn't been the hottest, hottest prospect, but he's been he's been middling. He's been he's been he's had, he's had ups and downs, but. Uh, Relatively consistent overall, um, but Trasoldi and Ferrari—it's—it's—it's it's, it's shocking, honestly. It's shocking how bad they've been, and uh, I really don't want to be that kind of player, just complaining. But they're just—they're just not to that level. There's not to that level, and um, I really hope that reinforcements come, especially in that department. But the club is in a bad. Situation. I'm really worried for them next year. I'm actually genuinely worried that they keep setting on setting their good players and they'll make right reinforcements and I feel like they could uh, they could be back in Serie B soon. Um, and that's a real pity to see because this team had so much potential. They still have so much potential and that's why I like them so much, especially the way they play. And to see them just not progressing is just, for me, it's devastating because I don't think you can ever speak to someone and tell me, Tell them, like, them for them. My God, I've butchered that. I don't think you can speak to somebody and they can tell you that Sassuolo is a garbage team or they're not enjoyable or this and that. You know, they don't play, not, they don't play nasty football. They play lovely attacking football. They've often um, beaten the big teams, so it's always a nice spectacle. And, um, yeah, you know, they're just a very cool Robin Hood team. And that Robin Hood has started to dwindle. Um so yes, it's 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 sad, really. It's just a sad season, I would call it. And I I mean, I was expecting a season like this. Um, I want to see what kind of reinforcements happen in summer, if any, and if none, then uh, the team is likely going to get cocked. Um, there's rumor that Berardi is going to leave. I don't quite believe it, especially after making all that drama that he's signing for a new contract, and it's going to be for you know for the long term and all this, but maybe Verardi just doesn't see the vision anymore. And uh, you know what? As much as I love the guy, I would not blame him, but uh, it would be it would be very sad. And um, then the club is in a real dire situation then if he leaves. So, um, so yeah, I don't know whether I've... I haven't been concise enough, for sure. Um, but I think you get the... You think, I think you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm hopeful for next year because I don't think it's all doom and gloom, uh, especially if the majority of this team of the team stays the same. There are still a number of players with a couple of reinforcements which could really um, push on into the middle of the middle of the pack again. Uh, but it's about keeping Maxim Lopez, keeping Fratesi, keeping Lorienté, keeping Berardi, reinforcing the defense properly this time. 
uh, with the likes of a solid center back who is consistent out uh, game in game out. You know, it's not a, it's not a, not a, it's not enough to be consistent here and there. So this guy has to be consistent from the get go. He has to be Syria uh, um, experienced and um, uh, ideally not old. But there are a couple of older players who've seen better days. I mean, one of them would would be definitely Reloitink, who of course has just been relegated with Sampdoria, who could be an easy fix. I'd love to see Pashkirotto. I don't. I think him moving to Sassuolo would be an upgrade, if I'm totally honest. I think that Lecce escaped relegation just by fine margins, and I don't think that they're having the highest hopes to to, to stay up next year. But of course, I can always be wrong. But yeah, there are uh, there are options where um, where they can be they, they can be made and reinforced. Um, we'll see. But yeah, overall, I'd give Sassuolo a three on ten this year. Thank you very much, Mint. It has most definitely been a negative season for Sassuolo, and that defense is unwatchable, to be honest. We'll be having you on soon, Mint. Looking forward to that episode, bro. Up next, we've got our boy Luca, who supports Bologna, who have had a pretty positive season, to be honest. Hey guys, what's up? Always nice to hear from you. A review of the season of Bologna Football Club. Of course, uh, I'm very happy on how the season went. Uh, I think we all should be as Bologna supporter because we hit our record of 54 points. Uh, and uh, the season went overall very well with some problems now and then but uh, we have to be really happy and I wanted to start uh, the review by, by saying this that this is our record and 54 points, ninth place is a great achievement uh, considering how we started. I'm sure that every supporter, if at the beginning of the season we would have said 54 points and where we ended, we all would have signed. Having said that, we need to consider something, that we lost a huge opportunity to go to Europe because just of memory without thinking too much, I remember these games at home that we didn't win. So we tied against the last three of the table, we tied against Verona, we tied against Sampdoria and we tied against Cremonese at home. We tied against Salernitana at home, we lost with Empoli at home, we lost with Monza at home, we lost at Verona away and we lost at Empoli away. So imagine how many points are there that we lost with the last five teams of the table, six teams of the table. It's unbelievable to think where we could have been with those points. Of course, you cannot win all the games. That depends also on how many people you have in the squad, how many good players you have to change. But imagine if Bologna would have just won uh, three games more of out of all the one I told you. It's unbelievable to think from outside how many possibilities we've lost to, to get to a great position. But I started by saying that I'm happy and that it's a good, um, 
that is a very good season for us. Now the turning point is to keep Tiago Motta, that uh, changed the, the way we think as a team and it changed the, also the, the goals of this uh, squad because uh, now we, we are playing well, everybody fears us, Bologna is not a good opponent to play against and he has an idea of football, that, that is the most important thing for a, for a coach, to have an idea of football. He has a strict idea of football and the, the, our, our management need to give him what it takes to express his idea the best. Because if not, his idea would not be concrete. So he needs some players, you need to change some players. This season was amazing to discover a few great players like Posh, for example. Posh were outstanding all the season. Ferguson was outstanding all the season. Seven goals for a midfielder, very, very nice. And he didn't start at all with Mihailovic. He started only with, with Thiago Motta. So we had very nice discoveries. Um, probably we're going to lose and I'm happy for it. Thanks for what they have done. But Medel, Soriano, De Silvestri, their, their, their contract is expiring. And I have to say I'm happy and I wouldn't renew them because the time has passed, the time has arrived. But we need a top sing. I, I think we need a top signing at the at the front. We have uh, Arnautovic. We don't know if he's staying or not, but he's one. Then we have Zirze, that I think he has great potential to grow. He has shown very good things, and I think if you focus on him as the project, he will be. He would feel more important, and he would even perform better. And then let's not forget that we have Van Oydonk that was on loan to Erwin in RDVs and it was third best goal scorer of the RDVs and he's coming back to us. So that's also a very good striker that I think could be a very good second striker, a very good bench striker. So we are good. We have Orsolini that this year was consecrated, was the year that he really told everybody what a great player he is, because I think Orsolini is a huge player for us, a player that always creates something up front and that defender fears. And when the opposite team fears a player, they focus their energy mainly on him and the other player have even more space to perform well. So he does not only do well for, the, for himself, but he does well for the team when he plays like that. So we have a good striker, Orsolini, and unfortunately for how much I like Barro as a guy, very nice guy, always smiling, always happy to, to take a photo with supporter. But talking about football, this year was a disaster for Barro. Uh, I cannot explain myself why. If you go back, if I go back and I see the first six months in Bologna for Barro, we really thought we had one of the best players I've ever seen in Bologna because I think he scored nine goals in 16 games uh, and all of them were wonderful. I remember the first goal against Spal in Ferrara great shot he did he scored twice against Roma in Rome and we won against them I mean it was a player that was unbelievable now I cannot recognize him very very 
always the bad choices. So for as much as I like him as a person, if you want to go to the next step, you need to buy a top player in that position. Next to the next to the striker, on the other side you have Orsolini, another great player. Because in the midfield you have very good players as Ferguson, as Nico Dominguez, as Moro, that I think you can build something on and scouting you can build something on those they are all young and so uh, we are we are good there Skorupski finally played a very good year and I think we can keep him it's not a priority now to change the keeper until uh, probably one year ago it was a priority to change the keeper now it's not anymore because he played well this season I have to admit and on the back, we have Posh, as I said, great player. Uh, I think on the center back, we are we are good. Maybe one more player since Medel went out. Uh, Sumarolu, Kumi, uh, they are a defender on which you can count. So I would keep them, but we need one more because Bonifazzi, I'm not convinced about him and neither Sosa. Sosa, I would keep him or give him on loan, but not ready for the Serie A. And Cambiasso is going back to Juventus, so you need to buy someone there. So I think uh, uh, priority signings are top left uh, striker, um, wing, top uh, attacking wing, and uh, uh, the, the defensive wing uh, to replace, uh, replace Cambiasso. We have Kyriakopoulos, but... We don't know what happened to Kirakopoulos. I think he was very good signing for when we played, but now he's having a bad moment, uh, I think, physically. So we need to understand what he has. But I think with few good signing, Bologna could really perform well next season. Priority, keep Thiago Motta, for sure. Great uh, young coach with football ideas. Guys, I went very long, I'm sorry. When I talk about Bologna, it's always like this. Thank you very much, Alberto. No problem, the longer the better, actually. Um, great to hear from you. We love to hear from you. Um, you speak very well um, and you're very passionate about Bologna, clearly. Yes, I do think the most important right now is that the management shows faith in Thiago Motta and they actually give him the tools he needs to succeed and to try to stop him from you know, falling to the temptation that is the bigger clubs that will be sniffing around trying to acquire his services. We shall be moving on to our boy Matthias, who has sent us a review on Empoli's season. Hello guys, here is my requested summary of the Empoli season. It has been a really good year and it's been really fun to be able to drop in on you a couple of times and providing an update for watching Empoli. As you know, I am uh, in general a Roma fan. And I have sort of stumbled upon this Empoli squad and had a really good time watching them this season, seeing their young players evolve, seeing the small tactical changes in their squad and in their performance. And uh, I'm going to give you some pointers about what I thought was interesting about their season and also some notes on what I think they were going to do, they are going to do going forward. So, I mean, first of all, we have to... Uh, See, say that they have been had, having a really successful season. Uh, it's been a really good season for Empoli in general. They've been playing good and they have been in a good position in the table 
for almost the entirety of the season. They finished at 14th. Their highest position was number 9, which they held for like uh, one match day. And their lowest was actually position 15. So they have never really been close to the relegation battle. They have never been in any of the places where they would uh, risk being uh, relegated. And the 14th position is the one which they have held for 17 out of 38 match days. So it seems like a really fair position for them to be in. And the fact that they finished 14th and are playing their third consequent Serie A season next year means they are equaling their record. Empoli has never been able to play more than three seasons in Serie A in a row. Usually they have been one of those teams who go up, play really good for a year, lose all their players and then are relegated. So we'll see whether they will actually play, manage to stay up for yet another season and uh, play four seasons in a row. And I feel this has been a stabilizing season for both Empoli and their coach Zanetti, who we know from last year in Venezia, where they finished last. Uh, the main thing about Empoli, I would say, is their youth movement. They have so many good young players, and if we look at the national squad in Italy, we see find three Empoli players in the under-20 national team playing the World Cup right now, with Baldanzi being the most striking and uh, conspicuous uh, player. And in the under-21 national team, who will be playing a Euro tournament in a couple of weeks, we also find three Empoli players, even though one of them is Cambiaghi, who is on loan from Atalanta. But we also have Samuel Ricci in that team, who is an Empoli-born and bred player. Uh, so they are really good at um, developing and uh, establishing young players in the squad. And I think we're going to keep on seeing that for the next couple of seasons as well. At least I hope so. So they started off the season a bit shaky. They drew a lot of games in the fall and we talked a lot about how they weren't really able to find stable goal scoring and that it was really tough for them to sort of win matches, find ways to win matches. Uh, far into the season they had four different strikers who had scored one goal each and none of them really got going. And I don't think enough can be said about the importance of the addition of Cesco Caputo to this team. Uh, obviously, he's a very good player in himself, and you can count the goals he scored and see what he what he sort of uh, provided for them in able to win more matches. The veteran presence, of course, as well. But I think one of the most uh, striking things and one of the most important things is that Caputo allowed them to gradually transition to play with only one striker. For the first half of the season they usually played with two strikers like Lammers and Satriano or uh, Destro, those few games he played uh, and uh, Satriano and that became really stale I would say but when Caputo started to get going especially sort of in the last fourth of the season, the second half of the spring you could see he, he managed to sort of hold up the striker position on his own. And that also meant that they could start playing Cambiago, Cambiaghi much more. And also sort of letting him roam freely on the left with Wonder Kid Baldanzi on the right. So you sort of saw a, gra a transition from a 4-3-1-2 to a 4-3-2-1. And I think that made it a lot more sort of flexible. Everything became a lot more flexible for, for Empoli. 
uh, and it was also I feel a very um, an advantage they have over several of the other uh, sort of bottom seven teams that they actually have a striker who can uphold the striker position on his own due to his smartness and his his neat runs and hold up play uh, as well as box presence a lot of the other teams are reliant on either one player who might not be able to score that much rather being like a target player like in Verona for example or having two strikers and and uh, therefore being short of players in other parts of the pitch. So that meant that, that as I said, Cambiago got to play more, but also that the other young loaned-in strikers, such as Satriano and Piccoli, who arrived in the winter, winter Mercato, their playing time virtually diminished. And it's going to be interesting to see whether this uh, 4-3-2-1 continues or whether they are returning to two strikers during the next uh, next season. Another thing of importance was also the, the addition of physical presence in the midfield. They played very good in the midfield during the fall and winter, but once they got Akpa Akpro going for this team, which for me was a rather surprising addition, I didn't think he would be that important as he was, but he, he proved to be a very sort of decisive improvement over the other players which they had there, which was often Henderson and Haas. And they rotated a little bit in, in different games in order to use those players as well. But Akpa 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 was really, Akpa Akpa was, was really sort of uh, vital in, in making the midfield stronger, more aggressive and more going forward as well. And you could say that the sort of spine of this team was Vicario in the back, of course, uh, Luperto in the central defense, Marin, who was served as the regista in most games, and then Caputo up front. And having this strong of a spine also allowed sort of the younger players, Parisi, Fazzini, Bandanzi, Cambiaghi, to serve more as cartilage in this body of play and allowing them to move more fluently over the field rather than being relied upon to uphold play. And I think once they got that sort of stability going, uh, it was really decisive for the team. So for the next year, they obviously have to keep that up. They are have been relying on a lot of loan players and will probably need to buy Marin and Luperto. I'm assuming that the deal for Luperto is already through. I know that they have already uh, negotiated and finished the deal for Caputo. And one wonders what will happen with Akpa Akpro, who has a couple of more years in his contract with Lazio, and whether they will, uh, how, how Lazio feel about selling him. He could probably be of interest for French teams or perhaps Turkish teams as well, in that sense. But they have some money to, to move around with because they have already sold Aslani, sold Aslani, which they loaned out to Inter last year, and they will get the, the funding for him now. They have sold Bayrami, and I'm assuming that they will sell at least a couple of more players, probably Vicario, who has been one of the best keepers in the league this year, and also I would assume Parisi, who, even though he was he's sort of a very vital part of the team in going forward from the left-back position, I think they can be able to find a replacement for him and perhaps he's a little bit, he's, he's too easy to sell not to do it specifically and especially when they need to, to buy uh, players such as Marin and Luperto. They will probably need to, to sell off 
Parisi and I can see him going to Monza for example replacing Carlos Augusto or perhaps even uh, Udinese replacing uh, Undogia but of more interest is also sort of the strategic position because for a couple of years now Empoli have been relying a lot of lone players coming in and are they going to keep on doing that to me that signals a little bit that they were afraid of uh, of being relegated and therefore didn't want to uh, tie up capital to buying players which they then would have to sell if they were relegated. Instead, it was easier to do the loan deals, which probably included conditions that if they got relegated, they wouldn't be able to buy Marine, for example. Are we going to see them trying to stabilize their squad even more and actually sort of building and buying players so that only two, three, four players are on loan deals? That's going to be really interesting. And can they also sort of hold back the players which will be uh, targeted and hunted by the bigger clubs? Many teams will try to eye up Baldanzi and he could be locked up by the Vinter Mercato. I'm hoping that he stays for at least the fall because I think that uh, he needs to develop a little bit more and find his placing in the modern game where we don't have this, the Trecartista to the same degree. But if he can learn to play in one of two offensive midfield positions, he will virtually be, be interesting for almost every team uh, in the top half of the of the table. I'm assuming Cambiaghi will return to Atalanta and I think offensively we will see less forwards in Empoli. Perhaps they focus on uh, buying like a backup for Cesco Caputo and then perhaps some wingers, offensive midfielders going forward. To me, that's the type of position where it's almost perfect to try to loan in Atalanta, Inter, Juventus, uh, talents, uh, young players who they want to give playing time. I would say the midfield is pretty set, especially since they have another young player, Bellardinelli, who was loaned out to Sid Tirol this year and played quite um, quite uh, a lot. And I w- we will see him probably return or perhaps being loaned out to a Serie A side, but he could actually strengthen the squad. Uh, if they don't buy Akpa Akpro, they would probably need some kind of replacement there. And I think it would be interesting to perhaps place uh, Gagliardini from Inter there, because he has a similar physical presence, some sort of veteran uh, experience to the team, and I think his specific experience of going young from Atalanta to Inter and not being being used there to the same degree which he would have wanted. I think that experience could be very good for a lot of the young players coming through the Empoli Academy. If Vicario is sold, I'm expecting them to go with Parisan rather than buying a replacement, but perhaps they need to strengthen the midfield a little, the, the, the goalie position a little bit. And I would uh, argue and sort of try to to motivate others to watch Empoli a little bit more. It's a fun team to watch, especially if you watch them often, because you see a lot of slight tactical changes. You see a lot of very solid, gradual development of young youth players, finding the right player for the right role, using one or two holding midfielders in certain games, going from one to two forwards. Those kinds of of tactical changes are very sort of present in the Empoli game. And saying something about the coach, I mean, I think this has been a um, rejuvenation. I would say it's been sort of a return to to uh, status for Sanetti. Uh, even though I'm doubtful that we will see him in one of the bigger clubs, I think his playing style is a bit too 
to stale for for the top four or the even top seven. I could possibly see him going to Fiorentina if they get rid of of uh, Italiano for if they lose Italiano to a bigger club. I could see him sort of work there. Perhaps Udinese as well, but we know that Udinese tends to tend change coach every other year, no matter how they do. But I think this this uh, in Empoli he has he shows sort of the the solid qualities of a of a Serie A coach and uh, I wish him luck in that sense. I think he's a good young coach for the league, perhaps not being uh, suited for for a Roma at, uh, a, a job at Roma, Inter, Juventus or that. But we need those kinds of coaches as well. Okay, sorry for dragging on, but that's what happens when you when you get me going. Uh, I hope you have a nice summer and we'll talk to you again eventually. Bye-bye. Brilliant breakdown and analysis over there by our boy Matthias. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, there's nothing left to add to that, to be honest. Empoli have been a joy to watch and let's hope that um, this project will continue to look as interesting as it looks right now. Now, up next, we've got one of our day oneers, Michela, who will be running us through Napoli's magical season. Thank you for inviting me to be make this voice message to be on your podcast. I really enjoy listening to your podcast because I I think you give quite a really good insights on all the games. I know you're you made uh, you support Milan and are not biased in any way, even in their games. So I really enjoy them obviously I enjoy listening to um what you say on Napoli since I am a big Napoli fan. Just a brief background on me. I've been a Napoli fan for as long as I can remember. My grandfather, he was born and raised in Naples, so it's something that's literally in the blood, <laughs> being a Napolitana. Um, so I've been supporting them for <laughs> 23 years now. Um, and being able to experience what they have achieved this year. I mean, it's something that each and every person in Napoli was waiting for, and I think that it's something that no one would ever thought that we would achieve this year, being that we had a lot of players that left, like Insignia and Mertens, Koulibaly and Fabian Ruiz, and obviously we've got a lot of new players like mainly Guevara and Kim that not a lot of people knew about. To be honest, when I um, saw the news that we got these players, I was like, who are these? What are we going to do? We're going to most probably finish like <laughs> mid-table. But I mean, that was <laughs> not what I was expecting, that we would win the, the Scudetto this year, to be honest. Speaking about my experience, I got to, I got to experience the last game. Um, last Sunday game, Napoli Sampdoria, uh, which obviously was the game that we were all waiting for, being the Scudetto game, which is something that <laughs> all people in Napoli have been waiting for. It's it's really funny because football in Naples is literally the religion. It's something out of this world to experience. Like, 
all the nation being united just for one cause, which is football. I mean, it's funny to say, but it's, it's still what connects people in Naples football. Everywhere being decorated, um, a lot of obviously murals and paintings and everywhere in blue. It's something, it was really something that I was waiting to experience obviously once in my life. And I hope that I will get to experience sometime again. But it was really something amazing to get to experience this and obviously to get to experience the emotion in the pitch. I mean, I was um, in the lower sector of the Purva, which the ticket was something really hard to get, but at least we got that. Um, the atmosphere in the ground is amazing. It's always amazing for each and every game. But for for this game, it was really, really great. I'm, <laughs> it seems that I'm making a lot of voice notes, but <laughs> obviously it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I can keep on talking for so long about Napoli and about the season, which was extraordinary. I mean, as I said, no one would have believed <laughs> that we would win the Scudetto this year with all the like rebranding of the thing that we did. <laughs> um, obviously, a lot of people knowing the place in the title race that we usually are, they're like, mm, till Christmas maybe, and they'll go down, which we usually do. But this year, it wasn't that. This year, it was something. Um, obviously, it's something great to see the players and the team winning and like beating teams like Liverpool and Ajax in the Champions League. It's like, you know, beating Ajax 6-1 at home. It was like something... <laughs> Not that we never did, but, you know, constantly winning, constantly winning, it's something X. And then continuing to win after January, after the World Cup. Obviously having a bit of downfall here and there, but, I mean, that's normal for every team, I guess. Um, and I think the highlight was beating, obviously, Juventus 5-1. That was the highlight of... <laughs> Um, that period, um, I believe that we would win the Scudetto. A, a, a lot of people, obviously, being Napoli, a lot of are superstitious, um, starting from my family as well. They're like, no, people, it's still too early to say. And to be honest with you, I booked my flights to Naples in January. They were obviously cheap and I decided to book them just in case, which I did use them, um, but constantly seeing your team win and like reaching as an achieving record that maybe uh, in previous years they didn't achieve, it's something that it's something that I think kept all the Neapolitan people going and even after Argentina won the World Cup. It was something, I think, that <laughs> even Diego might have helped us achieve. 
final note because I seem to be going on and on. Um, on maybe the future. We don't know what the future holds. <laughs> Obviously, Spalette believing it was not something that we wanted to see. I believe that he was a major factor in this Scudetto win. Um, there was something that kept the team together. They were acting as a team. They seemed to be very connected at act and acting as a team because obviously in the years before there were some issues that showed like negative communication issues between the players but this year I mean from my point of view they seem to be quite a good team everyone is for example even in the terms of Simeone and Raspadori that weren't obviously playing as much as Warren the demand, which I mean they're an extremely duo, uh Warren Dozi, but when they were subbed um they still did their best, they still performed their best, they you know I believe that the goal that one of the Scudetto was Raspadori's goal versus Juve. I mean, we had a draw after that, and I mean two draws after that, which led up to the Scudetto winning in Udinese on the 4th of May. But I believe the goal that won the Scudetto was the Uva one with Raspadori. So as I was saying, even though Simeone and Raspadori were not having as much um playing time as Var and Dodi, they still did their best, they still, you know, gave their all for the team, and that's what I think kept the team together, and they have obviously the one goal of getting back this good at on Naples. Um, having said that, I don't know, as in, I'm a bit skeptical about the future, knowing easily that the sporting manager is going to leave. In fact, he told, um, in the trophy-giving ceremony, he told that Laurentiis, thank you for everything. I mean, people have read his comment, so it was like his goodbye. But we'll see, I guess. Kim is obviously rumored to go to Manchester United, but just rumors, I guess. We'll see. I'm just happy that I got to experience this and I got to be there. So, Thank you, Michaela, for doing this. Um, very interesting and very happy for you, of course, to have finally seen your favorite team win the league. On to our final review, and this comes through Lucas, who will be covering Atalanta's season. And to sum up Atalanta season, I would say the fifth place finish is good, solid, but it it could have been better. We if we didn't lose these games before the World Cup and in February, where we just had these three games in a row we lost, and sometimes also now again 
the end we were just to Salernitana. These were games that could have been avoided that we should have won to the Champions League next season but at the start we played we didn't play prettiest football but at least we won games and the defense was really solid some injuries happened the attacks was still not that good because there's still there's the missing the still missing creator but the new signings were doing pretty well looking was good Hoylund was solid but he, he's probably gone but for that money we get it's okay so I think the it was kinda at some points was a, a part two to the last season but we just at some shitty games where last season we dropped the points or didn't get anything out of it we won some of them it that's probably the main reason we got to Europe but one thing I have to say I didn't like that much was Gasparini kind of lost the trust youth players obviously Scavini and Hoylund played a lot but other than these two Hartebar played all the time he wasn't doing that good and the like Sopi never really got the chance also after Palomino got back from his ban he, he didn't do well him Jim City they weren't that good at some parts of the season and Okoli still not, not really got the chance the goalkeeping situation is other problem Sportiello wasn't that good Musso is a flop it turns out but all in all the season was okay enough yeah, we, we should get a few improvements for the next season but I think it, it, will, it was alright Thank you very much, Lucas. Yes, I do agree that Okoli and Sopi deserved more playing time over there and that um, certain things about Atalanta this season were quite uncharacteristic. But yes, we'll see what the future holds for them. Um, perhaps it's time for them to change their manager and it looks like that's what's going to happen. Um, interesting to see where they go from here. So thank you very much, guys. If you've made it this far, this has been the voice of the people and I have been, say, a spotlight today. Um, Jake, of course, my co-host, uh, Matty, did not join me for this one, but we'll be back in the next episode. Um, check out yesterday's episode where we covered um, the major finals and the last bit of um, football that there's left of the season.